Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to Spooky Psychology. Welcome back, our good friends. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. We're hoping that today you're filled with love and joy. And all of those good things, whether you're romantically involved or not. Valentine's Day can celebrate all types of love, not just romantic, so hopefully you got some friends to hang out with. Or self-love, yeah. or fur baby love. But yeah, so I mean, the topic of our Valentine's Day special <laughs> is the most romantic of them all. And by romantic, we mean horrifying. As is tradition. Yeah, that is kind of our whole thing, though. So, Megan, what are we talking about today? Uh, today we are talking about Lauren's Choice episode, <laughs> which is really fun. We are talking about paraphilic disorders. So, paraphilic disorders are sexual disorders in nature. Uh, we didn't really plan to release this on Valentine's Day. It just kind of happened that way, and we're like, well, that's going to be great. As with the theme. It really, I mean, not as much, but it's tangentially (laughs) related to Valentine's Day, I guess. Um, And so paraphilic disorders, we want to make a really big distinction. It's not kink. We're not kink shaming anyone. The biggest thing is that with any kink you have, you need to be consensual. Consent is key. Consent is key. And in paraphilic disorders, consent is not key. And they are problematic. So some of the things that we will talk about, things like uh, lichen feet or shoes, different things, for a lot of people that's a fetish that they have, but it wouldn't necessarily be a paraphilic disorder because if you like shoes and got a good partner who will put on shoes for you and let you see their feet, then it's all good, right? Nobody's being hurt, no one's being harmed. You can just share that with your partners consensually. That's totally fine. What we're talking about today is very different because these things inherently violate the rights of others or involve children or animals or corpses, none of which can consent to sexual activity. Correctamundo. Um, you know, but before we dive into that, yes, Lauren, I believe we have a new patron that I believe we, we need to shout out. I don't know what his reward is. We'll have to... So he can ask us a question that we answer live. Okay. So I did reach out to him to see if he had a question. He said he wanted to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll still give him a shout out. Um, Angel Perez. Angel. Thank you for being our patron. We appreciate your support. Thank he has you. come to our live events before and has given us amazing art um and yeah maybe we'll we'll uh post that on the facebook yeah, we'll post his art on the facebook for those of you who went to our phobias live presentation and were lucky enough to score one of those phobia drawings so cool uh those were done by angel and they are lovely and are hopefully gracing the homes of several of you right now and so he's a very talented artist, very good person, good fan of ours. And thank you so much for your support. Hopefully, eventually, that support will go towards us figuring out this microphone situation. <laughs> um, which is a whole thing I don't think we need to bore you guys with. 
right now, but it's been a struggle and we're sorry. We're sorry. We're learning. We are learning um, very slowly, though, because we're busy. You know, full-time jobs and stuff. Yeah. But yes, so, thank you, Angel. Thank you, Angel. Anything else about Valentine's Day? Are you a Valentine's Day person or no? No, but I will use it as an excuse to eat a good dinner with my husband, so. that That's kind of how I feel as well. It's not a very important holiday, but it's a nice excuse to grill up some steaks and hang out. That's so, it. works for me. I'm very pro-ordering heart-shaped pizza. Ooh, Aldi has heart-shaped take-and-bake pizzas for all of you out there. Go get one. Go they get one might now. Be sold out now, but get one. They're cute. They're romantic. They're cheesy. <laughs> All romance should involve cheese, in my opinion. I, yeah. Aren't you lactose intolerant? Yep. <laughs> Perfect. A little love and abuse. <laughs> <laughs> and as long as it's consensual. It is very consensual. The cheese has your permission to abuse your body. It's very sadist. <laughs> <laughs> I think masochism. Masochism. Sadism, I believe, is wanting to hurt the other person. Masochism. Cheese wants to hurt me. Cheese does want to hurt you, but you can't help yourself. So with that introduction, let's get into it. Um, <laughs> so we can cut any of that. <laughs> if you're not comfortable, I'm so good with let it. Me I'm good. Okay. So the definition, according to the DSM, of paraphilic disorders are. People with atypical sexual interests that do not have a mental disorder. So to be diagnosed with a paraphilic disorder, the DSM requires that people with these interests feel personal distress about their interests, a lot of shame, embarrassment, not merely distress resulting from society's disapproval, um, have a sexual desire or behavior that involves another person's psychological distress, injury, or death, or a desire for sexual behaviors involi- involving unwilling persons or persons unable to give legal consent. So it really seems like either the person who has it is distressed about it or the people they're doing it to are distressed about it. It could be either, correct? Correct. Okay. And in most situations, probably both. Probably both. And they do add this to the new DSM where they said um, it is a subtle but crucial difference that makes it possible for an individual to engage in consensual atypical sexual behavior without inappropriately being labeled with a mental disorder. Mm -hmm. So with this revision, the DSM clearly distinguishes between atypical sexual interests and mental disorders involving these desires or behaviors. Right, because not everybody who's into some atypical stuff has a disorder. Also, I'd like to point out that, like, atypical is very subjective. Absolutely. To what is typical or atypical sexual behavior. So, again, not shaming people for what they do consensually with other people. Exactly. Exactly. If it's not represented in movies and TV, that's okay. Just as long as it's consensual. Yeah. um, And I guess also, since we hadn't said this yet, and I'm seeing what I'm about to talk about, we just want to, of course, throw out some trigger warnings. Ooh, yes. So many trigger warnings for all things sexual and sexual abuse related. If you have an abuse history, this might, parts of this might be rough for you, so you may want to skip out of some of those stories um, 
if that's something you want, you need to do, we completely understand. So trigger warning for sex, sexual abuse, pedophiles, and necrophilia? Yep. Yep, okay. Yep. Throwing it in there. Perfect. So, gotta warn everyone, even though I feel like the, you all know already, but we're gonna keep saying it, because uh, we care. So, just some examples. So these are the ones that are most clinically significant, according to the DSM. Which, what does that really mean, even? Right, I don't think they say it, you know, the DSM is made by a group of people who meet together and figure this out. They don't always explain to us their logic behind things. But, you know, exhibitionism is a big one. It's the urge, fantasy, or act of exposing one's genitals to non-consenting people, particularly strangers. Um, so that, obviously, you can see where that distress comes from mm -hmm. if somebody shows you their genitals when you did not consent to that or are just on the bus or trying to live your life. It can be very distressing and alarming. So, like, a lot of flashers. Yeah. Um, I also found out recently that there's a program um, that helps support people in the hotel industry who are maids and clean rooms, because I guess that's a huge problem, oh, is walking in yeah. and people being exhibitionists and not consenting to that experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, which, you know, again, this is different from liking people looking at your genitals or wanting people to watch you have sex. If everybody's in agreement to look at and watch whatever, then that's, you For know... For example, porn. Porn. Some people in porn could very well be exhibitionists, but... But they're consenting. That they're consenting. And obviously, if you're the one looking it up, you are consenting. You are <laughs> like making that choice to see what you're about to see. So, you know, even that, like, it wouldn't necessarily be exhibitionism because everybody knows what's happening. So the act of liking people watching isn't clinical exhibitionism. Clinical exhibitionism is strangers or non-consenting persons. Um, fetishism, so I think we've all kind of heard of fetishes, and again, this is the disordered level, not the Not level like, uh, oh, it's my fetish, right. like the meme. <laughs> um, so the meme? Is there a fetish meme I don't know about? Well, I don't know if I could, I don't know if it's like a meme, but I feel like in culture nowadays, yeah. it'd be like, oh yeah, that's my kink, that's my that's fetish, my but kink. it's like not clinical. Right, not at all clinical. Again, there's the clinical versus the colloquial, which I think we've discussed in a few episodes. Psychopath is another big one. Clinical mm. and colloquial, completely different there. Um, but fetishism, the people with fetishes have sexual urges related to non-living objects. So they become sexually aroused by wearing, touching the object. Um, common examples are clothing, un like such as underwear, uh, women's high heels yeah. is a big one big one. Uh, the fetish may replace sexual activity with a partner or might be worked in with a willing partner. So again, fetishes you definitely can experiment with consensually. Mm -hmm. You can find a partner that is, you know, either into it or just willing to roll with it. Yep. Um, but it would be clinical if you're really distressed by it, if you can't, you know, perform sexually with a human partner because right. they're not the object, that's where it can get into the clinical range. And I, I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, um, like, people that, like, fall in love with, like, 
their cars and do like sexual things with those sorts of objects would fit into that right yes because that's the sexual urge related to a non-living object like a car i know there was a woman who married the eiffel tower i don't know if they have a sex life i don't know what that was about i haven't researched that case enough but again having sexual interest in the eiffel tower would be considered fetishism and the Eiffel Tower cannot consent. <laughs> no, the Eiffel Tower cannot consent. And also, I sincerely hope that they don't have a sexual relationship because that is a public place. Something fell. It's okay. fine. It happens all the time. So, yeah, that could murky at best. But um, yeah. the next one, I think, is one that, unfortunately, a lot of people have been victims of in their life, particularly if they take public transportation, and that would be frauderism. Frauderism is the act of touching or rubbing one's genitals up against another person in a sexual manner without consent in order to get pleasure or reach orgasm. So a lot of people have experienced this on crowded buses, hallways, other things. Clubs. Clubs. Ooh, clubs. Which, again... If uh, if everybody's consenting to being rubbed up on, then I guess that's one thing in a club. But often, you're just standing there. And somebody rubs up against somebody you. somebody rubs up on you, and that's not cool. That is most likely frauderism. There it is. There it is. And now, this one, probably the most distressing of all is pedophilia so pedophilia is a paraphilic disorder because it is a problematic sexual urge that violates the rights of other humans and is distressing to them and to everyone around you quite frankly so pedophilia if you don't know is the recurrent and intense sexually arousing fantasies urges or behaviors involving sexual activity with a prepubescent child So there is a term, it's not in the DSM, and I'm not sure why it should be. I agree. um, Absolutely, because it is just as problematic as the paraphilic disorder related to younger teens who have started puberty but are not yet adults. There is a separate term for that. I'm I'm blanking on it right now. I know I am too. But it's different than pedophilia. Pedophilia is specifically prepubescent children. Um... So that is. I can look it up. I believe Lauren is going to look it up for us. This is an awkward thing to Google. Awkward thing to Google. I'm pretty sure this podcast has really. We've got to be on a watch list because of the stuff we look up. Probably. I always try to like uh, log into the podcast thing when I'm looking at really disturbing stuff. So if anybody's watching, they're like, oh, it's for this podcast. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Let's see. Chronophilia? Chronophilia. So again, still a paraphilic disorder. It is just slightly different if we're talking prepubescent children versus pubescent children. And my apologies to the teens that are out there listening, if any of them are. You are still a child. You will find And then there's also (laughs) FFOFB. Ophelia. Uh-huh. Ephibophilia? Ephibophilia. Which is... When an adult is mostly or only sexually attracted to post-pubescent teenagers, usually in the age range of 15 to 19. Okay. So, again, it is slightly different, but as I was saying, teenagers are still children, and if yep. you've ever spent time with a teenager, you know that. 
And again, my apologies to the teenagers. I know that offends you, but when you're my age, you will agree with me. You will me. understand, I you promise. You will be like, oh my god, I knew nothing, and I thought I knew everything. You'll and get there. And that's a particularly distressing one, because I've worked with so many teenagers where they're so flattered by older men having interest in them when really these people are falling into this category of, what was it, a Ephebophilia. Well, and even if you, I mean, look at it. Think about the last time that you really spent time with a fifteen-year-old. Like, yeah. they're not adults. No, they are, and you can tell. You can completely tell. And I mean, also, whenever age differences in a relationship come up, um, it's really important to think like, are they at a place in their life where they would have things in common? That would be a good ground for a relationship. Like, what does an adult man have in common with a 15-year-old freshman in high school, right? Like, they're Nothing. in completely different phases in life. When you're older, I mean, younger adults dating older adults, you're still all adults. Like, one of you might be more established, but you're still all adults. But with that age difference, it is disturbing, even if some people try to make arguments that are creepy. But it's not okay. Teenagers cannot consent with adults and they can't legally consent either that's it there it is you'll go to prison people all right so to continue this um next one is sexual masochism so i feel like most people have heard of this one um engaging in or frequently fantasizing fantasizing about being beaten bound humiliated or otherwise made to suffer resulting in sexual satisfaction again with this one the key is non-consent um so if this is part of your um sexual expression but you guys are consenting adults that's totally okay yeah um sexual sadism is causing pain humiliation fear or some form of physical or mental harm to another person or or to achieve sexual gratification sadistic acts include restraint such as with ropes chains or handcuffs imprisonment biting spanking whipping or beating so i mean in the consensual spectrum of these things typically somebody who has a tendency towards non-clinical sadism and somebody who has a tendency towards non-clinical masochism can get together and they'll consensually have a great time that will be mutually enjoyable to both parties yep and that that is a choice that as an adult you are allowed to make however both of those can be, I mean, I guess it would be much harder for non-consensual masochism. Yep. But non-consensual sadism is a huge problem, but masochism could be. Yep, absolutely. Um, Voyeurism. So the individual normally experiences sexual arousal when spying intentionally on unsuspecting people. The person being watched may be naked, disrobing, or engaging in sexual activities. The voyeur may also record these acts for later viewing. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, the stereotypical peeping Tom. You know it's a problem when we have a colloquial term for it, like Mm -hmm. peeping Tom. Uh, Like, that's a normal thing. And again, like, voyeurism has a huge range. Sometimes it is a 
curious teenager lurking in the bushes. That's kind of the stereotype yep. of it, and some people think that it's not harmful, and it's just like, oh, but it is. It and is. it can escalate to the point there was one, um, I haven't actually watched the Netflix show, but there's an entire Netflix documentary on a motel owner who had built yes, special I watched things. that. You watched mm-hmm. it from the ceiling. I think it was called Voyeur. Yeah, it was called Voyeur. So that would be like, you know much more extreme voyeurism where this you're staying in a motel you feel safe like right you paid mm-hmm. for the room you're allowed to be there you know maybe you're having sex with your partner maybe not but somebody is filming you without your consent for Taking their sexual pleasure and, yeah. yeah so very weird voyeurism i think can be a lot more severe than people give it credit for yeah it's very um it, it's it's very assaulting it's very jarring it's utterly horrifying yeah all right to continue we're gonna keep going guys <laughs> there's so many uh coprophilia so the sexual excitement by being smeared with and or ingesting feces um so yeah. this is a health concern right very unsanitary yep moving on <laughs> <laughs> and these ones aren't in the DSM specifically, but are still pretty prominent. They still count. Yeah. Uh, Clismophilia. Okay. So an individual obtains sexual pleasure from receiving enemas. And if you don't know what that is, it's the cleansing of the colonic canal via anal douching. Mm-hmm. Less commonly, some people also get pleasure from giving enemas to people. Typically, it is a warm water that is used to clean the lower rectum, although... Other substances have been reported, including coffee, yogurt, air, whiskey, wine, beer, cocaine, epoxy resin, and even cement. So, I feel like you kind of, li- those were listed from, like, least concerning to most To most, concerning. yep. Uh, the coffee one, like, I've heard of some health clubs do it, doing it, because um, it's, a, I don't I know. I saw it in a My Strange Addiction. Yeah. It didn't seem sexual, though. It seemed, like routine right i think that there's a big spread and again like with this one if you're obtaining pleasure from receiving an enema like if you think about it if you're going to a place that does colonics for health reasons and you're going for sexual pleasure and the person giving the colonic does not know that you're there for sexual threat like that is violating that is huge yeah um but that is also one that again i guess if you're doing it in your own home and you're doing it by yourself, then just be careful and don't use... Coffee, yogurt, whiskey, <laughs> wine, beer. Don't use cocaine or cement or epoxy resin. I think there's a sure. name for that. I saw it yeah. on Instagram. I think it's called boofing. Oh, God. Why is there a name for I don't that? know. I don't know. But there were... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anywho. Anyway. <laughs> this one just... This episode just goes there. It goes there. This this is happening. Um, next one, right into necrophilia. So I feel like a lot of us have heard of this one. It is erotic fantasies about or sexual contact with the dead. Um, so there are multiple classifications. So let me go through these. Um, the first one is role players. So essentially you have your partner play dead. Um, romantic. So this would be a person who cannot bear separation from the loved one and essentially try to keep them and continue to have sex with them. 
um, necrophilic fantasies, so they fantasize about having sex with a dead body, but they don't actually have sex with a dead body. Uh, tactile necrophiles, um, so like in order to reach orgasm, they have to touch um, dead people or things. Uh, fetishistic necrophiles cut off a piece of the dead person's body and usually use that during masturbation. Um, necromutilomania is mutilating the body while masturbating simultaneously. Opportunistic necrophiles um, are content with having sex with the living, but would have sex with a dead body if the opportunity arose. How often does that opportunity arise? I would hope not very much. I feel like for most people's daily lives, that wouldn't come up very much. And most people wouldn't see it as an opportunity, Right. I feel. And the next one is regular necrophiles that we think of. Um, so that would be just, you know, people who, you know, only have sex with dead bodies. Just your average just person. Just your average, your average Joe. Who only has sex with <laughs> dead people. And then the worst or most dangerous kind are the homicidal necrophiles. So those are people who kill people in order to have sex with their bodies. Yeah. So obviously that is just problematic from start to finish if it's you know role players cool you found someone to role play with you but anything past that is dead bodies can't consent that's it all right next one so telephone scatologia or telephonicophilia sorry these are hard um so it's a deception and ruse in luring or threatening a telephone respondent, known or unknown, into listening to and making personally explicit conversation of a sexual nature. So this... I am familiar with. ...is a huge problem on crisis lines. Yep. Where people have this fetish and will call the crisis line and say increasingly out their things until it becomes very apparent that they are masturbating. Yep. Unfortunately, I have experienced this, and it was disturbing. Unfortunately, I have experienced this multiple times, because, unfortunately, um, a lot of these people will make use of the suicide hotline and will threaten suicide if you call them out on it to try to get you to stay on the phone. Um, because it's a suicide hotline, you're kind of supposed to keep talking to people, so they will use that. Um, and this is not okay. It's not okay to masturbate while talking on the phone with a crisis line. Like, that's right. not what the crisis line is there for. Exactly. So, public service announcement. Public service announcement. Stop calling crisis lines and masturbating. Thank you. Why are you doing that? Next one. <laughs> Europhilia. So, I feel like we've heard of this too um sexual interest and focused on urine urine and urination this may involve watching others urinate being urinated on during sexual activity urinating on the partner during sexual activity or drinking one's own urine the street term is golden shower golden shower yep you're unfamiliar just look it up on urban dictionary (laughs) It is urophilia. urophilia. Well, and I mean, again, key here is if you're consenting to it. Right. So if you're not and somebody insists on peeing on you, that would be a huge problem. Right. Somebody peeing on you without your consent for the purposes of their own arousal, not okay. Not cool. Don't appreciate it. 
next one, zoophilia. So it's a sexual disorder involving an erotic attraction to animals or an abnormal desire to have sexual contact with animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and the difference between this and bestiality is for zoophilia, your preference is animals. But with bestiality, I believe it's the actual acting out mm-hmm. towards animals. So the zoophilia, it would be like you prefer you to prefer have sex or with fantasize, animals and you fantasize. Bestiality is the act in and of itself. So somebody could easily do both. They may engage in bestiality because of their existing zoophilia. Correct. This is a fun episode. Right. <laughs> Everyone good and depressed? Great. <laughs> Great. It's only going to get worse. Well, we'll bring it back up. We'll bring it back up. Somehow. That's interesting. We'll figure it out. It's all interesting, right? It is interesting. All right. So we wanted to kind of talk about some theories about, like, hey, like, why the heck is this happening? <laughs> right? Why? Why? Um, so let's start with the psychoanalyst theory. Um, so they theorize that an individual with paraphilia is repeating or reverting to a sexual habit that arose early in life. That is like the most basic psychoanalytic. Mm-hmm. Like, it is your childhood. That's like all of psychoanalysis mm-hmm. is just bringing it back to your childhood being like, what weird happened? Like, what happened to you that you're sexually attracted to shoes? Let's discuss your childhood from your birth on. Very Freudian. Very Freudian. Nothing again. Apparently there are existing psychoanalytical therapists. I know that. Which Mm -hmm. is fascinating. Nothing against them. Good for you. That's just, I sometimes I love the theories because it's just so like, yeah, that's exactly what I guessed it would have been. Yep, yep. Um, Then there's behaviorists. So they suggest that paraphilias begin through a process of conditioning. So non-sexual objects can become sexually arousing if they are repeatedly associated with pleasurable sexual activity. So um, particular sex acts such as peeping, exhibiting, bestiality that provide especially intense erotic pleasure can lead to the person to prefer that behavior. Behavioral learning models suggest that a child who is a victim or observer of inappropriate sexual behaviors may learn to imitate that behavior and is later reinforced for it. Um, So I guess like with this one, I always go back to Richard Ramirez and um, he definitely uh, saw family members engaging in really inappropriate sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, a behaviorist would argue that could be why. Um, Compensation models suggest that these individuals are deprived of normal social sexual contacts and thus seek gratification through less socially acceptable means. Um, So these people theorize, you know, because, you know, they're socially not accepted themselves or they're having trouble adapting to social norms, they kind of compensate through whatever they need to do. Physiological models focus on the relationship between hormones, behavior, and the central nervous system with a particular interest in the role of aggression and male sexual hormones. So it might be a physiological thing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, There have been studies that have found comorbidity um, with alcoholism, antisocial personality disorder, and sometimes OCD. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. 
so now even more theories, because I y'all are here for the theory, right? So, and some of these I'm more inclined to agree with than others, but this is what people are saying. So, attachment theory has been used to suggest that, like, attachment theory is all about parental attachment and how that kind of relates to your attachment styles later in life. So attachment theory has been used to suggest that poor parental attachment leads to a child not learning how to behave in the appropriate role expectations. They say in turn the individual would be likely to sexually offend as a way to derive satisfaction and closeness but in inappropriate ways because they didn't learn how relationships are supposed to work because of early attachments. Right. Um, which is an interesting theory. I wouldn't have thought about that. Sure. Um, and that's the thing with theorists is that... It's a theory. It's a theory, right? It's just that is kind of within their framework what would make sense. Um, so there's a lot about evolutionary theories and evolutionary psychology that sexual behavior is motivated to drive reproductive success and that a lot of the aggression and overcoming um, and just like of somebody's willpower and of somebody's kind of autonomy is based on failed reproductive success and increased sexual aggression mm. to ensure reproductive success. So, you know, and that's gender specific. Sure. Um, mate selection needs that males are thought to be more sexually driven and aggressive than females to impregnate the most women. Females have a greater reproductive cost, so they're more selective. Sexual coercion and rape have been suggested as evolving from limitations or barriers to successful mating. I get where they're coming from sure. with evolution, but uh, sometimes it can almost make it seem like they're like, it's evolution, it's okay. Like, it's like not. Never okay. I don't. I don't know about that, but yeah. th it is it is a legitimate theory, sure. and we will give it kind of equal time. Um, but they also kind of use that to explain that that's why women are less likely to have some of these things than men, mm. which I'll talk more about in a minute. But so some people say that the aggressive part of the paraphilic disorders. Um, it's a drive to obtain power, control, and dominance, which is something mm. we frequently say about rape. It's about power and control. Yep. And uh, the view of the feminist movement suggests that people in societal power act to assert their dominance, which may help explain why some girls in roles of authority, like as babysitters and older mm. sisters, are more likely to offend on younger children. Got it. Um, because it's exerting power and control and that's kind of where they can get it so those are kind of some of the interesting theories that i found that was on an article specifically about paraphilic disorders and sexual development and issues in girls sure um but some of you might be thinking like how common is this and the really short answer is we have no idea yep a lot of people are very closeted about this. very closeted and at the same time the number of people is difficult to gauge. Many people might suffer in secret because of shame, and some of them are sex offenders because right. of their paraphilic disorder, so they're not gonna just, like, be like, yes, I am this way. Like, right. I do have this, and I'm engaging in this because they would get in trouble for it. 
so that does make it harder to gauge. So a lot of the research is based on people in the criminal justice system due to pedophilia. Got so it. So that's the most researched one because obviously pedophiles get caught. They go to jail. We can study them. But some of the others, like, it's not that common for frauders to mm-hmm. get caught and mm-hmm. to go to prison for it. So we can study them, right? Like, we just can't get good numbers on that. Um But what they say in terms of pedophilia is that most individuals with this sexual deviation are men. They say it's 3 to 5% of the male population um, and 1 to 6% of the female population being Hmm. female. So females are less likely to be pedophiles. Um, However, they say women tend to be underdiagnosed with paraphilias given the benefit of the doubt by the system. There is that bias. You'll Mm -hmm. see that in... um, the articles about teachers yes, assaulting totally. their students, where yep. the males, they're like, he raped a student, and with the females, they'd be like, she had an affair with this child. Right, and or like, it's, it's every teenager's dream. It's like, no, that's rape. That's rape. Um, but then they say masochism is 20 times more common in women than men. Interesting. Um, and But other than that, paraphilias are almost exclusively diagnosed in men and that doesn't that doesn't mean that women don't have them if you're just looking at diagnosis and the prison population it is mostly men that are getting actually diagnosed um a lot of people with one paraphilia have more than one paraphilia which in my story there are several that i will point out okay um and about, for example, about one third of pedophiles have another paraphilia, along with pedophilia, and more than half of them engage in three or four kinds of behaviors, not one. So it's very common to have a lot, and most people who develop a paraphilia begin having fantasies about it before they're 13 years old. So they tend to pop up pretty early in life. Um, And kind of just another note as far as treatment is concerned, it's really murky. Yeah. I I did some research. Cognitive behavioral therapy may help. There are some medications to reduce sex drive that can be used, um, but right now it seems like there's not good therapy for it and not good outcomes or just not enough research because of how undiagnosed these go. So hopefully we're able to diagnose these better in the future and provide better treatment to help these people overcome it and to help people not become victims of it and just kind of work at it that way. Absolutely. Especially, like, you know, keeping in mind that a lot of the ones that we had mentioned before, you know, you know, bring up serious health concerns for the people, like, engaging in it. So, Mm -hmm. like, you know, with the enemas or you know, messing with their feces and stuff. Or, like I mean, necrophilia. Yeah. That is a risky... Very risky. ...behavior to engage in. But also, like we talked about, a lot of those things, there is kind of a consensual version of it. Sure. So, I mean, if there was a good treatment to get people back to the only engaging in it consensually, that would be much better than some of this. Totally. What's actually happening, if we could figure out how to reduce it that way. And make it more socially and healthily acceptable. Right, where it's just like, okay, like, you like shoes, but why don't you just, like, find 
like, have a collection at home and right you know. or just like how can we reduce the urge to violate people with the shoes but Absolutely. that's the same i think with a lot of sexual disorders with sexual assault it's figuring out how to get rid of the urge and even with you know serial killers with psychopaths it's how to get rid of that urge to violate the rights of others and right now we just don't know how to right. do that or if it's even possible and i think too like maybe you know for the future of like paraphilic research and like helping people i think honestly it might be important to separate pedophilia with some of the other Mm -hmm. disorders just because i i think once people are like oh i'm in like the same subgroup as like pedophiles that makes people like retract and like not want to get help true and that is i mean we don't know how they'll define everything in the future obviously pedophilia is one of the more distressing paraphilic disorders totally. that is there. I think they're all distressing inherently, but that one is particularly distressing. And so, yeah, people might not want to get help if they feel like they're going to get looped into that. Yeah, totally. Okay. So, story time. Story time. Lauren, mm-hmm. who will you be talking about today? So, naturally... Carl Tanzler. Naturally. So this whole episode started because <laughs> Lauren really wanted to talk about necrophilia, and I was like, I don't think we can do a whole episode on necrophilia, <laughs> so we'll do paraphilic disorders in general. I feel like a whole hour and a half on necrophilia might be a bit much. Might be a bit much. But this whole episode might be a bit much. But, I mean, it's people, interesting. people love, like, the murder stuff. And totally. The, the dark stuff. So hopefully some people will find this enjoyable. <laughs> Do you find necrophilia enjoyable? <laughs> <laughs> if so, please get help. Please get help. Immediately. <laughs> I will be getting help after this. I'm just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> um, Carl Tanzler. So a lot of people, surprisingly, have not heard of him. Um, so he was a doctor. And he, shoot, I didn't put which time period. Oh, no, early 1900s, so 1920s. Um, Carl was head over heels with a patient of his. He was a doctor. And quick question, because mm-hmm. I think I know this. This was not like a mutual relationship, was it? Like, no. it was very, un- he really liked her, but they were not together. Yes, there is a giant age gap. Yeah. Um, she was 21 years old, and her name was Elena de Hoyos. Um, so, essentially, he was this German-born radiologist, and he came to Key West, Florida, after leaving his wife and children in 1926. Once in Florida, he presented himself as a count, which is interesting. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. I mean, I think in the early 1900s, they, before the internet, you could make up a lot of stuff about yourself much more easily. Sure. Now, it's... You can look that shit we up. Can, we can cite that, because there's not that many counts out there, but... <laughs> Except for me. Count. In my poncho. Lauren. <laughs> count of the poncho. Count of the poncho. Um, so he presented himself as a count casually. Um, he also claimed to be a former submarine captain who moonlighted as an inventor. So very important. You know, this is just reminding me of some research I did where like 
in the 1900s, people could just, like, say they were a doctor because mm-hmm. they had no, like, or it used to just be, you could just kind of say stuff yeah. your resume, and then other people would be like, yeah, that checks out, and you're like, you just had them send a letter to your friend, and your friend's like, yep, they're a doctor. Like, totally a doctor. Totally, just be like, yeah, I'm a submarine captain, and people were like, cool, yes. Okay, Count Tansler. Right. <laughs> Count Tansler. Submarine captain. Yeah. So, essentially, how... Tansler came into contact with Elena is he became a radiologist at the United States Marine Hospital. Um, So she had visited him for medical advice and she had been diagnosed with tuberculosis. Um, At the time, this was essentially a death sentence. But Tansler wasn't about to let his dream woman get away from him. Of course not. So he disregarded all hospital protocol and attempted to save Elena through tonics, elixirs, pilferred x-ray equipment that he brought to her home. So all sounding very unethical. So he just stole a bunch of stuff. Yep. Yeah, okay. At the same time, um, Tansler told her how he was feeling, expressing his undying love for the young sick woman. But it's important to note that while it's unclear exactly how Elena felt about Tansler, we know for certain that she didn't reciprocate his romantic feelings. Okay. So keep that in mind. So it was not romantic. She might have thought yeah. he was like a good friend. Like kind and thank you for trying to save right. me and whatever. So unfortunately with the tuberculosis, she passed away October 25th of 1931. Tansler paid for her funeral out of pocket, as well as her internment in a stone mausoleum, a building only he had a key to, which is weird, but um, her family was like, cool, like, this guy's going to pay for this to be done, and we're going to have a whole mausoleum to our daughter, like, go for it. So two years after her death, Tansler snapped. If you didn't already think he snapped before. (laughs) Um, Snapped further. He snapped in half. He lost his job, not surprising, Mm -hmm. and suddenly stopped showing up to um, where Elena was buried in the mausoleum, which he visited every night since her internment. Her family found it strange he'd begun ignoring the woman who he'd shown so much devotion. Turns out, he mummified her body with plaster of Paris Mm -hmm. and removed it from the mausoleum and brought it back to his house. Super casually. Super casual. Super casual grave robbing. Yep. I'm pretty sure he used a toy wagon to do this, which I'm sure was a sight. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, mummified that body with plaster of Paris, wires, mortician's wax, and glass eyes, which is horrifying to me. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Well, your eyes are, like, the first thing. It's just glass. I don't know. Yeah, okay. It was then that he felt she was ready to move in with him. So he used everything from wire hangers to prop her up to rags to stuff her empty cavities of her body. Which is like the grossest sentence I've ever heard. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Um, he had continually applied wax to her face and disinfectants to her body to keep the smell of the corpse from overpowering his apartment. Um, Tanzer also bought body perfumes as gifts as if they were in a normal relationship. He even fashioned a wig from what was left of her hair to keep her pretty. So, 
Yep. <laughs> when her sister finally went to Tansler's apartment to confront him in October of 1940, her worst fears were confirmed. She called the authorities, and after her sister's body was removed from the premises, they discovered that Tansler hadn't just rebuilt Elena's body until she was more of a doll than a woman. He'd also inserted a tube inside her body, apparently to facilitate sexual intercourse. Very horrifying. Mm -hmm. um, so, naturally, he was arrested and put on trial. He claimed that he planned to bring... Elena back to life through intergalactic means. Um, he wanted to take her high into the atmosphere so that radiation from outer space could penetrate Elena's tissues and restore life to her somnolent form. Tansler was cleared of all charges because the statute of limitations had since passed for his crimes. Of course, yeah. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Um... He it's all really interesting that they put him on a trial, though, if the statute of limitations had passed. Yeah. I wonder if it was just to kind of make a point of it, of, like, you can't do that mm -hmm. and not talk about it. I don't know. At the end of the trial, though, he did ask if he could have her body back, but his request was denied. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So, that's story of Carl Tanzler and his love for Elena. Mm -hmm. um, I think this definitely fits in the subcategory of necrophilia, um, the romance, the romantic yeah. kinds, um, where he couldn't accept that she was dead, um, so basically pretended that she wasn't. Um, and obviously this is not good for many reasons. It was very disturbing to her family. Um, she didn't consent to anything romantically when she was alive, let alone dead. Mm -hmm. And I just, I wonder about not only his mental health, but like his physical health, um, having sex with a corpse. Very creepy. Very, very creepy. But yeah, um, if you're a death metal fan, um, there is a song called Death Mask Divine by... Black Dahlia murder. Um, they are known to make songs about things such as this. Um, so they have a song about this. They also have a song about Walt Disney's frozen body. <laughs> so Beautiful. highly recommend. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that I've heard so many interesting things about that case and about Tanzler and like, yeah, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'd be so interested to hear about how he lived the rest of his life. Yeah, I don't think I had heard a lot about that. One of the things that I had heard in a podcast that I had listened to, it was an episode of um, Time Suck, which is a podcast that I recommend. It is lovely. And they said that when Tanzler was a kid, he had like a dream or a vision of his dream wife. Yep. And then he saw Elena and was like, that it's is her. her. I finally met her. I mean, also he just like straight up abandoned his family. Right. Which really sucks. Just like, bye. Like, could you imagine being his ex-wife and then seeing that like in the news? <laughs> like, that would be very traumatizing. I'd be like, holy shit. But you'd also be like, I'm so happy he left me. Right, dodged a bullet there. So happy. Ugh. That is, yeah, that's like a tough one. Well, I wonder if he ever had sex with anyone ever again. I don't know. <laughs> Ask him. I mean, he Call has him. 
he had children, so he obviously had sex with at least one living woman, but that was before this, so who knows what happened afterwards. Yeah. Anyway, now that you guys have heebie-jeebies, on to Megan's story. Get ready for more heebie-jeebies, guys. <laughs> um, so, I did a lot of thinking about what I wanted to talk <laughs> about with this one, and I have decided to do, I'm going to have to move the mic yeah, a ahead. little bit for myself, um, I'm going to be talking about Jerry, or Jerome Brudos, who is a serial killer. So I'm going right back to serial killers. It's been a couple episodes before we've talked about one. Here we are. Here we be. So Jerry Brudos, he was born on January 31st of 1939. He was a serial killer and a necrophiliac, and he had some other paraphilias, known as the Lust Killer and the Shoe Fetish Slayer. Oh boy. And so, a little bit of his background, he was raised by a mom who really wanted a girl. He was the second boy. And so she would dress him up as a girl and, like, refer to him as a girl. And he was really the outcast of his family. There was a lot of disappointment that he was not a girl. Oh boy. And a lot going on in his childhood. And when he was five, he was playing in a garbage dump, as children do, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and uh, he found a woman's high heel shoe, and he loved it. He took it home, and his mom found it and destroyed it. But that's kind of where his shoe fetish began, when he was a little kid, and he was very aroused by this woman's shoe. So, at that point, you know, as he got older, he started breaking into his neighbors' homes to steal all of their high-heeled shoes, huh. and uh, began to steal women's underwear as well. Yikes. So then the shoe fetish is kind of developing more into shoes and women's underwear at this point in time. And then here's where it gets interesting, because I read so many different articles on him and they said a few different things so I'll tell you both ways it could have happened. So, when he was 17, he was committed to the Oregon State Hospital. Hmm. And one version he assaulted a woman who refused his sexual advances. The other version, which has way more detail, is he was taken into custody for threatening two girls, forcing them at knife point to disrobe so he could photograph them naked. Oh, boy. And then he was also accused of stealing and wearing women's clothing. Uh, he later admitted that he did wear women's underwear and pedal pushers, which I'm not sure what pedal pushers are. I think that's um, tights. Tights, maybe? Mm -hmm. Okay, he was wearing women's clothing and lingerie um, when he was staking out girls' dormitories, looking for women. So he did spend some time in the state hospital because of his paraphilias when he was pretty young, um, but he was he was released after some amount of time. Um, some versions say that he was in the military, and some say he was not. So he may or may not have been in the military, may or may not have served in Vietnam. Depending on which reason, I've heard both, so who knows. Um, but it is confirmed that at some point in time, he did become an electrician, and even though he was in the state hospital, he graduated high school on time, and everything became an electrician. Uh, he married and had two children, and, um, you know, everybody kind of said that he was a great family man, a good father, didn't drink, smoke, rarely swore, all-around stand-up guy. He was not. 
Um, and allegedly he would make his wife do housework naked in high heels and make her let him photograph her. Yeah. Uh, which again, if your wife is down to vacuum yeah, naked, take some shoes, you take some pictures, good for you, you found someone. But his, what I mean, with the language, we don't know if she was like, okay, that's fine. Or, or like, if I'm she's scared like, not to. Yeah, you never know. Um... But he did escalate. So I'm going to go through exactly how he escalated. Do it. Um, because, like, the research says a lot of times they will, people with paraphilic disorders will engage in at least three or four, mm. about half of them, behaviors of paraphilia. And you will see several in these stories. Okay, let's listen for them. So, listen and keep count at home, everyone. And so, between 1968 and 69, he bludgeoned and strangled four women and attempted to attack two others. The first one was Linda Slauson. She was 19. She was a door-to-door saleswoman who happened upon his house in January of 1968. He lured her into the basement uh, while his family, his kids were there and everything, they were in the house. He knocked her out with a wooden plank and strangled her. Then, he dressed her in different female undergarments and shoes he had stolen. He posed her body, uh, and took pictures, I believe. And then he used a hacksaw to cut off her foot, which he kept in the freezer, and then used to model his collection of high heels that he had stolen. There's another one. So, right, the undergarments, the posing of the body, and then removal of the foot. And he most likely masturbated while looking at the foot yep. in the shoe, so... Which we learned is a subtype of necrophilia. Subtype of necrophilia. So then, Karen Sprinker was 18. She was abducted at gunpoint from parking lot in May of 68. Brutus was dressed in women's clothing during the time, so again, he liked to wear women's clothing as well. Uh, he brought her back to the garage, made her try on his collection of undergarments and pose while he photographed her. Then he raped her. Then he stra- then he strangled her. Um, then he had sex with her corpse on several occasions, and possibly most disturbingly, he removed her breasts and then used them to make a mold, and then made a mold of her breasts that he used as a paperweight. Okay. So there's a lot happening in that one as well in this one he photographed her alive he sexually assaulted her he strangled her um so that is full homicidal necrophilia at that point in time um afterwards he tied the body to a car engine and threw it into a river okay moving on um to jan susan whitney she was 23 uh her car broke down on the interstate and Brutus offered to drive her to his home with the excuse of letting her call a tow truck. Like, yeah, no, get in, you can use my phone, you'll get a tow truck, everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. While still in the car, he strangled her with a leather strap and raped her post-mortem. Oh, gosh. Um, that necrophilia just, like, escalating. It escalated so quickly to homicidal necrophilia. Um, he kept the body hanging in his garage for several days, uh, during which he dressed, photographed, and had sex with it. Yeah, at this point, he he removed her breasts as well to make mold. It seems like he did that with both Karen and Jan. Hmm. Um, 
And then he ties a body to a railroad iron, threw it in the river along with uh, Linda Slauson's foot, which had decomposed. So mm-hmm. he disposed of her foot at that point in time. Um, then Sharon Wood, 24, he attempted to abduct her at gunpoint from the floor of a parking garage, and she got away. Gloria Jean Smith was only 15. He attempted mm-hmm. to abduct her, and she got away as well. That would be was it epiphobia <laughs> but like instead of pedophilia oh yeah phobophobia i think yeah that one or phobophilia phobia would be afraid of it <laughs> afraid of pre- of pubescent girls yeah. aren't we all we are a little bit so, um but yeah so she was only 15 i mean if you look they were like 18 19 23 24 and 15 so they were all between 15 and 24 his victim range um and i believe gloria jean smith was very helpful in actually catching him the one that got away the one that got away i think it was the younger one but both of them like he got two girls got away so they were able to help him get caught um but then linda saley was 22 she was taken from a shopping mall parking lot on april 23rd 1969 brought her to his garage where he raped and strangled her. It says he played with her corpse. I don't like yeah, that verbiage. That I don't mean? know that's what it said, so I don't know what he did. Um, he said that her breasts were too pink, so he didn't cut them off. What? Um, <laughs> okay. And instead, he drove an electrical current through her body in an attempt to make it jump, which didn't oh. work. And then he tied the body to a car transmission and again threw it into the river. It's very weird how, like, he'll kill them and then almost try to bring them back to life in some way. Yeah, ways. and the thing is, I'm not sure if he was trying to bring them back to life or... But make them move. Dolls, yeah. probably. And then, like, do the torture with the electrical current. I don't, it doesn't sound like he was actually trying to bring her back to life. Just that. Or, like, make life, like, movement. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um... But he would dress up in high heels and masturbate after committing a murder. So he was also sexually aroused by the shoes, by the underwear, by the mm-hmm. posing, by the murder itself. He engaged right. in necrophilia and multiple fetishes. Um, and multiple types of necrophilia, too, yeah. with some of the tor- of like mutilating corpses. He hits a lot of the subcategories. And um, in May of 1969... The bodies of Saline Sprinker were found in the river. Um, the police asked students at a campus if there were any suspicious men, and one of them actually led to Brudos, who had phoned her several times to ask her for a date. Mm-hmm. And so it's they actually, the cool thing is from what I read, is that he'd been asking her on a date, and she thought that he, she had been talking to the police, so they told her to, like, yeah, invite him over to your dorm, and then the police were there. Oh. When he got there, and that's kind of where they caught him. But he gave them a false address, which increased their suspicions. They finally went to his garage and found copper wire that was determined to have been cut with the same tools as the cord that tied the bodies. He was arrested, and he made a full confession. So that's wow. how we know so much about what he did, um, is because he did confess. I wonder um, why. Well, that's a good question. Um... He initially pled not guilty to due to reason of mental disease or defect, sure. um, but then he ended up pleading guilty right before the trial was about to start. Hmm. So for whatever reason, he decided to not go through a trial, and he did confess. 
Um, he pled guilty to three first-degree murders and was sentenced to three life sentences. Um, he confessed to Slauson's murder, but he was not tried nor convicted for it because he didn't make he didn't keep the photographs of the body. Um, unlike the other cases, he only had photos of her foot. Um, and then Whitney's body was found after he had confessed. So, this is disturbing, but in his prison cell he had piles of women's shoe catalogs Ugh. that he kept in there. He's the killer that if you watched Mindhunter, they brought in a pair of women's shoes to get him to talk to them. Oh, that yeah. would be him. Um, so he had piles of shoe catalogs. He would write to the companies and ask for them, and he claimed they were his substitute for pornography. So even though he escalated so far, his shoe fetish was still a very Consistent. primary part of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe I read somewhere that in one of his interviews, he said that he had some women he was going to kill, but he didn't like the shoes they were wearing, so he didn't. Huh. So it really had to do with a lot of factors, but the shoes, the lingerie, the murder, the mutilation... But it all went back to the shoes. Um, so, Damn. yeah, he logged countless appeals, including one where he alleged that a photograph taken of him with one of his victim's corpses didn't prove his guilt because it was not the body of a person he was convicted of killing. Okay. So it's a whole, he went through a whole lot, um, and then it was controversial because in 1995, the parole board told Brutus that he would never be released. So he was still allowed to do, um, to meet with the parole board every two years, but they had determined that they would never release him under any circumstances. So he would go. Um, he did a lot of education. Hmm. He got two college degrees and was working on a master's in counseling oh, in prison. Oh, that's horrifying. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he was never going to get out. Right. So, like, he can get whatever master's he wants. And then um, he was the longest prisoner, in, like, he was the prisoner in the state of Oregon who had been there the longest in prison, okay. um, from 69 all the way to 2006, where he died of liver cancer. Wow. So that one, I think it's just so interesting because he did have that fetish from such an early age, but he escalated so quickly to so many other paraphilic disorders. It was really something else. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a really interesting case. Yeah, it is. Well. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Should talk about some happier things, probably. Do you know of any people doing good shit? <sighs> Once again, I didn't look. That's okay. I got one. You got one? Um. So there is a program, again, if you're in the Chicagoland area, this is a good one to go to. Um and it's called the Long Red Line, and they're putting on this event in, or at ECC, where essentially they're having a bunch of speakers um, who work with sexual assault victims and, you know, just help people in various different ways. Um, there's going to be, you know, speakers, um, you know, from the LGBTQ community. There's a really awesome clinic called the Open Door Clinic in Elgin um, mm -hmm. that I know is speaking there. And they're actually um, the ones that, or it's actually the event where I know they're having people who run that program for um, 
hotel maids and like housekeepers um, just to raise awareness of that being a problem of people exposing themselves. Nice. Um, so yeah, so that's happening at ECC. Um, and yeah, Long Red Line puts on a lot of events like that, and they're a non-for-profit that do really cool stuff. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. I need to get better at remembering to actually look things up okay. before this. So, yeah, I don't actually know many, I mean, there's lots of good things going on. Mm-hmm. I'm getting close to your wedding, I speaking am. of love. Yes, I am. It's exciting and very stressful right now, yes. but it will... We're we're very excited. So, all right, lovebirds. Well, hopefully <laughs> that was interesting to you and disturbing. Go to our Facebook page. We'll put some pictures of puppies or something. Lighten this load. Lighten the load. Um, and also give us five stars, please. Share oh us yeah. with your friends and family. Let's run down the whole list. So, we have homework for you. Yes, we do. <laughs> If you're not following our Facebook page, Spooky Psychology St. Charles, give us a follow. Uh, You can definitely comment on, let us know how we're doing, let us know if you have episode ideas or things you want to hear more or less of. If you're hearing those noises, that is Gotham. She's very excited about something, and I'm not sure what it is. Life. She just needs attention. Yeah, baby. So, um, yeah, follow our Facebook page. Lauren, your Instagram is? Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, Malika, M-O-L-I-C-A, underscore, L-N-F-T. Woo! At Instagram. At Instagram. I am Megan Baker, L-C-S-W, on Instagram, so you can follow us there. Mm-hmm. And then if you are uh, listening to us on iTunes, please rate and review. Please our podcast in addition to that wherever you are please subscribe to us so you get alerted of all of the new episodes we list again we're right now we're at every other friday we Mm -hmm. release new episodes and yeah it's that new new stuff like Mm -hmm. we haven't done live events about this before or stockholm syndrome this is all brand new we've never done these so we're researching it and figuring it all out right now yep so, uh, and also, if you have recommendations of future ones, let us know. Yeah, we are very willing and open to talking about different things. We got some good ideas coming up, but mm-hmm. we are definitely game for more. And we are working, we're brainstorming on a contest of some sort. Yeah. So keep your ears open for that. And that's all I got. All right. Well, stay spooky, friends. Stay Thanks spooky. for listening. Bye.